the questions that arise. Okay, let's uh, turn our attention now to our finance slot. Let me welcome Snen Tlantla Nzama, who is Head Product Actuary at Investec Life. Snen Tlantla, good morning to you. Thanks for your time today. All right. I'm going to ask you just to speak a little bit louder because I can't hear you uh, clearly. Not sure how far you are from your your uh, your phone. Uh, if 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 that's what you're using to connect to us, um, I, I just want to begin perhaps with the, we're going to talk life insurance today. And what is life insurance? Is it an investment? How does it work? Mm. Well, Kathy, I hope you can hear me now. Yes, much um, better. Yes. Well, in South Africa, life insurance has always been seen more as life cover or what you call death cover that uh, pays in the in the event that you pass away to your family, to look after your family, so mm-hmm. to look after those living expenses um, and make sure the kids can go to school and they can go to university. And you've got a spouse who's staying at home, they, they can look after them. But also, obviously, the South dynamics means also looking after your extended family, like your parents, grandparents, your siblings, your uncles and, 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 and aunts. And yeah, so that's extended family is also always considered within your, your death benefit. But also in South Africa and pretty much most of the world, when you do die and you do have assets, it does result in some of the death taxes, like the state duties. Uh, so it's also supposed to cover those uh, those um, uh, taxes and any of the debts that you may have that you die without paying off, especially things like your, your home loans and your cars that you want your family to still uh, maintain and to keep after you pass on. But that's really the death cover and the life cover. There's other benefits and other um, uh, products that are within the life insurance um, or life insurance sector that are actually always uh, useful and always used by uh, consumers. And for me, it always needs to be seen in the context of the holistic financial planning, where you look at your investments, look at your retirement annuities. This is a protection mechanism for that. So, you know, you talk about the difference between funeral policies and life insurance. You know, very explicitly explain the differences to us. Well, I think the basic, basic, um, I'll give you two differences, but the basic, basic of differences is that funeral cover will typically be limited to anything between 50,000 or 100,000 maximum. And that will not be what you say in the market um, underwritten. So it means they don't ask for blood tests. So it's a quick, easy to buy uh, product and supposed to fulfill the cost of your funeral. So whatever, if you pass on uh, now and what uh, from now until the weekend, all those expenses are just come up in the family, it's supposed to cover that and make sure that it's sufficiently covered. And then life cover is typically what is then, uh, we call an underwritten product, where we do ask uh, typically for blood tests, it basically could be an HIV test, sometimes it will be other uh, different tests that could be asked in the doctor's report to assess your health before you get the cover. And that will be a bigger amount of cover, so it could be talking about a million, half a million, uh, depending on your needs and how much you need, could it run to 10 million or so, uh, 20 million. And that really is to take care of the family from Monday. So you are buried on a Saturday or Sunday from Monday onwards. You have to go back to school. You have to pay if you're in the city. You have to pay the rates and levies. You have to pay for the, um, uh, for, the, for, the, for the living expenses, the groceries, up until the kids uh, uh, can be able to look after themselves or your spouse is able to go back to work or they can restructure their lives. So it's really the size of the, of the policy and also how we, how you buy the policy basically are the main differences and obviously the needs of how why you use each.
Mm. One of the, you know, the, the popular cases, at least in a country like South Africa, is that of, of Nerian Glover, and it's really brought to the fore, the, the, the issue of life insurance, right, and, and, and how it works and who can take out life insurance on who um, <laughs> and, and the extent to which these processes are followed. Uh, because, of course, many people then think, well, if, if this person was able to take out all of these different policies, in some instances, some people didn't even know that she had life insurance policies policies in their name. So explain to us the process of actually, uh, you know, procuring a life policy, uh, sorry, a life insurance in somebody's mm-hmm. name and, you know, the, the kind of benefits that accrue and to who they, they, are mm-hmm. actually, they actually accrue. Yes. Well, with, with, with funeral cover especially, um, it is typical and, and common in the market that you can take, because yeah, it, it, the legislation also understands that you can be liable or, 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 or have to look after your family uh, in terms of their funeral costs. And it's typical that if someone passes on the family, your brother, your sister, and your cousins will, will, will chip in. So that product is supposed to allow you to do that, so to take cover on behalf or on, on someone else's life. However, there's always that what you call an insurable interest, which means that you, the person should be dependent on you and they should typically be your, um, your immediate family or your family in one way or the other. Uh, because most of the time you wouldn't be able to, 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 to cover your neighbor or to cover your friend who's not necessarily related to you or not financially dependent on you. So then what happens is that uh, if someone then were to look up, take 10 funeral cover policies of 100,000 for 10 people, uh, there we're talking about a million now, which becomes substantial. And obviously, as I said, in some cases, it could be a motive uh, to have ulterior um, uh, events on, on, or, or, or actions on, on, on those family members. So obviously, that's all illegalities that can happen out there um, uh, in, 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 in reality. But um, I, I think in the context of Africa, funeral cover always plays that critical element to say every every person can be able to cover the person that depends on them should they pass away. And obviously with multiple people that you can cover, it does add up on a, on a, a, a aggregate level, something that is substantial. On the other side, on, 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 on life cover, which as I said earlier on, it will be full underwritten, so the insurer will do blood tests, unlike a funeral cover, they just look at them after age and the date of their birth and the gender of the person and then their names, and that's pretty much really about it. And then in the event of death, it's funeral cover, they will require that death certificate. So if someone is related to you, they'll obviously have that access to the death certificate. But on life cover, full underwritten life cover, then the insurer will have to talk to someone who's present being insured. They'll ask for blood tests, they'll ask for all other medical, their medical history. And there it's quite strict. It has to be the person who's being covered. And there it's usually you are allowed to cover yourself and in some instances cover your spouse because then you've got that relationship with the spouse, that contractual um, relationship with the spouse. And they will know that they have been covered in that instance. So the ulterior motives will always be quite limited. Mm. What are some of the myths uh, surrounding life insurance? Oh, Kathy, there I think we can talk for the whole day. I'll just, I'll just probably look at the very, very few that are especially typical in South Africa. Um, one of them is, is really this misconception that um, it, it's always about death cover, it's always about life cover when you talk about life insurance when actually life insurance is all-encompassing. It includes uh, things like severe illnesses or threat disease uh, cover. 
that looks after you should you be diagnosed with a very severe illness like um, a cancer, a heart condition, or even nowadays a very severe COVID um, uh, symptoms. Um, or also a disability cover where we know in South Africa, especially if you are in your 20s and 30s, uh, chances of you being disabled and being in a car accident are so high that you are likely to be disabled than to die of anything if you are young. So again, the misconception is that you always need life cover, but in, in actual fact, even the, um, the risks out there, you probably in your younger ages do need a, a much more severeness and disabilities uh, cover than you do need life cover. Um, and then I, I think the other one is um, if you're if you are working for a, a large company or a corporate where you typically where there's a pension fund, you do get some cover from that pension fund. Um, and some of the misconceptions there or the myth is that that is always sufficient and covers you, which could be true if you don't have dependents, uh, because that will typically be multiple of your annual salary. We'll say maybe two times or three times. So that means you're living your family with about two or three years worth of your um, of your income. If you do, if you've got young kids and you've got um, uh, an unemployed spouse, that is always uh, insufficient. You have to top it up and make sure it is sufficient. Uh, but for me, it's really being able to add more than death covers. Not always about death, it's also about life, especially in Africa where the risk of car accidents and other traumatic events are so high. You always have to look after and, and uh, yourself and your family and your investment and 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 and, and, um, and was, uh, accumulation plan by protecting yourself against those events. Mm. And of course, often people look at life insurance as one of those grudge purchases, you know, because they think, well, yeah, sure, there's a high accident rate in in the country, but am I really gonna get into an accident? Do I really need to be getting this cover? Or is it just a waste of money? Which is, to a large extent, I think traditionally that has been true as a, as a, as a grudge, I would say the grudge purchase with a grudge process, where typically life insurance has to go through a, a broker, you have to see, meet them face to face probably multiple times for them to understand your needs, then you're going through a coaching process and multiple uh, sets of papers that they have to complete and then blood tests until eventually weeks or months later you get the insurance. And nowadays the process has been streamlined it's completely uh, most of the time digital. Uh, but also, I think the way that we structure life insurance and the, the conversations that uh, people have around life insurance is changing, and it has changed quite significantly, especially with, uh, with, with COVID and other financial constraints that we've seen in the market in the last uh, couple of years, is that now life insurance is integrated more and more into holistic financial planning. What I mean by that is that now in, in financial planning, we, the starting phase is always about budgeting, always about uh, uh, ensuring that you can create room to save. So that's a, the that's a baseline. So be able to save so that you can start investing uh, after a while once you've completed some of the savings. And you start in your growth uh, in, in, into, in, into proper financial plan. And then after a while, you have to protect that growth and you protect the accumulated wealth. And one of the protection uh, mechanisms then that makes complete sense at that point is what are the eventualities that can happen as in the market crashes that you have got no control over? Things like your disabilities, your severe illnesses, you are unable to work or you, mm. you pass away. So once it's seen and thought in that financial, holistic financial planning, it always makes sense. It becomes part of your life. It becomes part of your finances and your family rather than just something that someone is shoving down your throat. Let me quickly take a call from Raymond out in Zanin. Raymond, good morning. Hi, thank you, Katie, and the guest, uh, mm-hmm. and also to the listeners for technical. 
I guess I just want to ask you a question to this question. Can someone take a life uh, policy uh, on regard of uh, with uh, on behalf of other people without their consent? Meaning that now uh, someone goes and you know go and get the ID of other people, you know register them for life cover, you know, but without their acknowledgement uh, also of knowing and also claim on their behalf, so those people pass away. Okay. Uh, Snintanza, did you hear that question? Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. Yeah, um, I, I think it's probably just the difference between life policy and, um, or funeral policy and, and, and life insurance. Yes, certainly. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as I said earlier on, with, 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 with funeral policy, it's not underwritten, so there's not really a need to have consent uh, from the person who's being covered. And then regulation also limits the amount of you know cover you can take, uh, especially for kids. So it's limited like twenty thousand for the very young kids. So there, there are those protection mechanisms, but they still at risk that someone then be covered without them knowing. Um, and also think about it. Uh, some of the people, it may be necessary that you cover your parents, but also disclosing that to them may not necessarily be that comfortable conversation in the funeral you know, cover space. Um, on life cover, it's very rare that you can cover someone without their consent. Uh, as I said, they will have to be underwritten. So that when when we are when the insurer asks them about their medical uh, history and they ask for the blood test, they will have to disclose and why as an insurer we ask them for those those and we'll disclose who's taking the cover and we'll disclose the amount of cover and they'll have to grant them consent in that uh, in most of the cases. We're in conversation with Snentlantla Nzama, head product actuary at Investec Life. We'll be taking your calls on 011-714-2006 on the WhatsApp line 0614-104-107 and on Twitter at SFM Radio, the hashtag there, SFM Talking Point. Snentlantla, what are the challenges that people often face when it comes to getting payouts? Uh, this is from life insurance. Um. <coughs> What, what, what we've seen in, in, in the market, I, I think there are a few challenges. One of them is just the nature of how underwriting has been done. So when you take out the policy uh, initially, you are, insurance is always going to say you take it in, uh, you're contracting in good faith between the insurer and the, and the, and the person who's taking the cover and who's going to be covered. So when you, when you ask about your health history or medical history and what medication you could be on, that's when the ultimate honesty, you'd rather be over-disclosing than under-disclosing that in, disclosing in that instance. And then none of the challenges that happen at claim stage should something material, and again, the word material is quite an important word in, in, in the whole concept, that anything material not disclosed can result in sometimes the claim being declined or sometimes what we call reconstructed. So if it was material, you could have resulted in a higher premium than what you would charge then the car will be reduced by the difference in premiums that you didn't pay. But there are, unfortunately, some events where, uh, some instances where the car wouldn't have been granted to begin with, because it has been uninsurable uh, for various health reasons, uh, that then the claim has to be declined. And I mean, there's no typical case that has come up in the, in, the, in, the, in the media of those. So for me, that's really the pain point and sort of the issue that you find uh, typically in the market. The other issues have always been about the process and about um, and about uh, the cumbersome paperwork and the hindrance to for 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 the whole for the whole of the market to be able to access appropriate insurance. When I say appropriate, sometimes they sold non-underwritten insurance when they can actually get full underwritten. They do blood tests; it becomes much cheaper. Um, let's make an example of someone uh, paying hundred rand to get a million rand covered. They do blood tests. 
but they will get 300,000 if they don't do blood tests. So sometimes those constraints then are usually sometimes helping people who can't afford the life cover uh, unreasonably. Mm. But those are the things I think the market is bridging with some digital and technology. All right. Snenkan Tlanzama will continue the conversation after the latest 10.30 news headlines. And good morning. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We're in conversation with Snentland Lanzama, Head Product Actuary at Investec Life. We're talking about uh, life insurance and some of the things we need to know uh, before we take out life insurance. Snentland, you know, we're dealing with uh, an economic context where a lot of people have lost their jobs. Uh, I know life insurance doesn't necessarily cover you for unemployment, but what happens, um, you know, to the policies that people have when they are unable to keep up with those payments? Um, Kathy, uh, uh, different insurers will, uh, life insurance companies will have different features and mechanisms to, to help clients. Um, I think when, when COVID started in 2020, almost all the insurers had some special dispensation to say you can pause of the premiums for at least three months to six months without necessarily losing your cover um, and then pick it up from then should the situation change. If it doesn't change, then we're making, we're making plans for, for each of the clients on an individual case-by-case basis. But typically what you also find is that there are some features of the product that are entrenched within uh, different products where, for example, you can have premium waivers. What, uh, what that means is that should you be retrenched or under financial constraints, the product allows you typically, again, within three and six months within the policy to skip those premiums without necessarily losing cover. And then thereafter, your cover gets paused. So I would say consumers just have to interrogate and look at each of the, uh, the policies that they've got and see where those uh, allowances are. Mm. And just as a principle, it's always better to engage with your advisor or with your um, uh, with, with your insurance company directly. Uh, most of the time, a plan can be made. And obviously, within reason, if it's a long-term unemployment um, situation, then obviously the question comes to mind whether you should actually still be keeping that amount of cover or you should be reducing it. So there are some options that can uh, be presented to a client. Um, but most of the time, there are ways that can be uh, an insurer can be lenient in still keeping you the cover for a few months, especially if you're in between jobs and you do have some uh, uh, prospect of getting a new job in the next three months or so. All right. Let me go to Johan in Tembisa. Johan, good morning. Good morning, my wife. I'm all right, thank you. I'm okay. Uh, yes, I have got a problem also. I was working for a company and I became, uh, I was involved in extended. On that, I was paying for a uh, cover, this uh, disability cover and life insurance. And another one says uh, health insurance. So I was taken to the, the, the doctors until I finished there was a broker between there. So when I tried to find out to, about my life cover, because I, I was bothered by the doctor to say I'm unfit to work anymore, then the broker was no more to be found. It was, I don't know, I can say the name of the broker. Hello? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, Johan. So, yes, uh-huh. it, was, it, it was Jeremy Kelly. Uh, they were found in the rose pen. Then mm-hmm. I, I tried to phone, and then, then when I was phoning, I was helped and to say, you know, I must go to a sick pension educator. When I tried to talk to them, they said, no, this thing is not on our side. I must try to go to, I don't know, 
ambas what what. So I'm stuck. I don't know where to go because I was uh, paying for that life cover and stuff. But sure. I'm not able to to, to work here. Yes. And 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 you don't know which financial company um, you had taken this this life insurance cover with that maybe you can approach that company directly. No, no, I don't know because the broker was the one who was doing everything. Even also with my disability, I didn't know. But now when I checked, I found that it I'm covered with the mm-hmm. um, capital alliance. So when I asked them about my life, because I'm now longer, because I was having also some other things which have I bought, and then maybe they can pay for that those things. I found that they, those those capital. They said no. On our side, it was ask you you. You, you company and or you work you 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 employ employer was no more to be found also it looks like they changed the name also sure yeah uh, um yeah it it, it it does sound uh tough especially where you don't have uh policy documents or any information about who the insurance company could have been in that instance so from what I'm hearing, it could be that uh, it was an employer scheme, so which means that he belonged to his employer's pension fund or provident fund, and the fund had taken out a group policy with some of the insurers. So in that instance, most of the time the employee would not know who the insurer is, uh, and they may be corresponding with the broker. And most of the brokers would be the large in, uh, uh, financial services companies that offer those services. Um, so in that instance, if you can find then the broker name or the company, which company, uh, or even their employer, then he would go into the large um, financial services companies and check if they were doing broker work for, for their employer. And I mean, the alternative then, if um, he couldn't, he can't find anything, is perhaps to try the phase ombudsman um, or phase ombud. Um, uh, they've got their numbers. They can just Google the phase, phase, phase ombud. So phase number basically looks after all the complaints related to advice uh, where broker um, uh, was involved. So there they can even assist then uh, perhaps to look for where the employer could have placed uh, the, uh, the, the, the debt group policy and who the broker could have been at that point. And I think there again, just really trying to see if to get as much information as possible. But without those details about who the insurance company was, and who the broker was, it's really, really difficult when there's no paperwork to understand mm. what was the cover. Mm. And Johan, was there any reason why you you never received any kind of policy documents? I agree if there's, there's a document from this broker, the broker, yes. Because at the time when I was a city, when I was taking the doctors and the officials, I was phoned by the broker to say, okay, on which date? You're going for valuation, then I went there, and then after that, and then when I was phoned to say, okay, we're no longer going to send you any more, then right, when I tried to stress my things, then I found that they are known to be found, just the address and that, that. But I was helped by this um, uh, uh, pension adjudicator, they they, 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 they take them with their new name. Because I tried also when I was phoning, I was up another another man said, No, they changed their name. They say I don't know it's what what says claim, something like that. Mm-hmm. Then when I phoned them, I sent them their documents. They say no, they will start, they will come back to me. They never come back to me until I was uh, they were found by this uh, 
pension at big theater. All right. Yes. Johan, let me do this. Uh, I'll ask Lebo to take down your number. I think we should pass it on to Brian, and maybe he'll be able just to do a little bit of work to try and get to the bottom of what's happening. I did did talk to Brian. Brian Mm -hmm. was trying to help me. There was a lady there, there by the the broker, said, no, you can't be involved, Brian, because it's already with the the pension administrator. So I went to the office of the pension administrator. They said, no, this is, this case is not on our side. I must go to, I don't know what is, is something, ombudsman, something like that. So it looks like that thing needs a lawyer to need people who knows about see, uh, the law. Yeah. All right. Brian knows about that. All right. Johan, I think we'll have a chat with Brian and find out whatever happened to your matter. But uh, it looks like, uh, you know, the ombudsman may be the last uh, option for you in as far as, you know, laying a complaint and trying to find out what has happened to, you know, discover that you should be entitled to, given the fact that you were paying those premiums. Someone is a lawyer who is listening, maybe they'll phone me and they try to, can you just just take my number, maybe someone will be able to help. All right. No problem, Johan. Let's leave it there. Johan out in Tembisa. Uh, we've also come to the end of our time for this program. Let me thank you so much uh, for coming on board for today. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Kathy. All right, and he is with Investec Life. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're in conversation with CEO, founder of Flex Club, Tinashe Ruzani. We'll be finding out all about his story.